Hi everybody, this is Hi everybody. I'm on your bill with the drill. I hope things are going well for you. I certainly hope they're going better for you than they are for me. It's been a challenging couple of days here. I know there's always been a certain element of wish fulfillment involved in the reading of uh, comic books, especially superhero comic books, but never has that been more keenly felt by me than it is today. Because this comic book that we are covering right now features a computer that turns into a robot and, spoiler alert, does get decapitated. And good lord, do I wish that my computer had a neck right now. Thing is just turned into a giant wet sack of garbage and I cannot goddamn stand it. So if weird things are happening with this and it doesn't sound right, rest assured I'm doing my best, but... Well, learning things has never been my strong suit. So I'm trying to figure out how to make this stuff work, but... Come on, man. If I wanted to learn shit, I would have stayed in college. At any rate, may as well get on with the show. So, without any further ado, let's ado this. Tighter than some handcuffs on a suspect's wrists, prepare yourself for a mighty synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Jamie. Defenders, number five. April, 1973. World without end? There's a question mark there. Written by Steve Englehart, drotted by Sal Buscema, with inks by Frank McLaughlin. Defenders Roll Call. Valkyrie. Doctor Strange. The Incredible Hulk. Namor the Submariner. And Namorita. Previously in The Defenders. The Defenders went dimension hopping and Doctor Strange fucked up real bad. In his attempt to rescue former Defender's frenemy Barbara Norris from the clutches of her two-headed, extra-dimensional asshole boyfriend, the Nameless One, who I like to call Glenn, Steve used his magic to snap the strong psychic bond between Barbara and Glenn. Bad move, Steve. The resulting trauma of this magical neurosurgery left Barb totally bonkers and constantly screaming a long string of capital A's. Kind of like the protagonist in the comic strip Kathy, only less interested in shoes and chocolate. And she doesn't have a fiancé named Irving. After returning to Earth, the Defenders went mucking around in an abandoned castle and wound up stuck in a mystical realm where the evil Queen Cassiolina and her boyfriend, the Executioner, threw them in a dungeon. While imprisoned, they ran into Amora the Enchantress and the Black Knight. Amora cast a spell on Barbara and transformed her into Valkyrie, a badass Asgardian avatar of feminism. Val busted the heroes and Amora out of their cells and together they defeated Cassiolina and the Executioner. And a wizard. Sorry, forgot to mention there was a wizard there. He had a pointy hat and everything. After the battle, Amora decided to hook back up with the Executioner. She gave the Black Knight a goodbye smooch, which would have been sweet of her, except that it turned him into a statue. Dick move, Amora! After petrifying her previous paramour, the Enchantress grabbed the Executioner, and the two Asgardian assholes magically skedaddled. Strange and Valkyrie both tried to unstatue the Black Knight, but to no avail. The defenders packed up their stone-encased swordsmen, Val took the knight's flying horse Aragorn and his magic sword, and the non-team of heroes headed back to Earth. Val announced that she was joining the defenders. Hooray! The defenders, however, declined her membership proposal on the grounds that they aren't a team. And that they think they're better than her. Boo! Meanwhile, that doomsday computer that Steve sealed in the time bubble back in Marvel feature number one is once again slowly counting down towards Armageddon. Gadzooks! Will Valkyrie manage to break the glass ceiling and become the first female member of the team that doesn't exist? Will Doctor Strange's new statue fuck up the Sanctum Sanctorum's feng shui? And how do I know so much about the comic strip Kathy? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Yup. When you've got a flying horse and a magic sword, you can break all kinds of ceilings. Walls too. Nope. It looks pretty good in there. Turns out Wong is a master of feng shui. Also, Master of Feng Shui is a comic I would totally read. And I have no idea. It's kind of unsettling. Val is walking around Greenwich Village having an existential crisis. Ever since she pulled an Athena and burst fully formed from the Enchantress's imagination, she's been having a difficult time figuring out who she is and how she fits into the strange world where she finds herself. I can relate, and I don't have anywhere near the complicated backstory slash lack of backstory that Val has. As she strolls, she is somewhat oblivious to the fact that everyone around her is freaking out at her appearance. What's the matter, guys? You never seen an Asgardian warrior woman strutting around New York wearing a one-piece swimsuit with Madonna-style boob cones and flowing blue cloak? Fucking rubes. After a couple of pages, Val finally encounters some men who don't stare lustfully at her. The only problem is, they happen to be assassins who are sworn enemies of Doctor Strange and are intent on murdering Val because she's been Steve's houseguest for the past few days. 
Bummer. Val starts beating the crud out of the would-be assassins, who are dressed in what appears to be bright green clansmen robes. Okay, so those outfits don't draw any undue attention. To the degree that they are favored by a profession who places a high value on stealth and anonymity, but Val's outfit is shocking? Good to know. Man, 70s were a weird time. Anyway, Val trounces her attackers and is about to clobber their leader when a mystic bolt from off-panel beats her to the punch. Oh good, Steve is there. Val yells at him that she had shit handled, but Steve counters that she looked like she needed a pal more than she needed her combat skills validated. Wow, that's surprisingly insightful, Steve. As they walk back to the Sanctum Sanctorum, she confides that she's been having some trouble making friends, due in part to the fact that she's distrustful of men, and most women seem distrustful of her. Also, although she doesn't say this part aloud, she is totally in love with the statue of the Black Knight. Huh. It's kind of like that movie Mannequin. And to a lesser extent, Mannequin too. Steve suggests that she go find the Hulk in Namor and tries to get them to be her pals. Um, so Steve is offering advice on how to be friends with the Hulk in Namor? Steve, what kind of relationship do you think you have with the Hulk? Steve gives Val some magic rubies that will help her track down an even more valuable treasure. Friendship. Val jumps on her flying horse and is on her way. She finds Namor chilling in the nearby apartment of his pal Betty Prentice with his cousin Namorita. Namor tells Val, no offense, but he pretty much hates everyone in the world except Betty and Namorita. So if she could just leave now, that would be great. Val starts to yell at the Submariner for not wanting to be her buddy, which is always a great idea. I can see someone's been reading her Dale Carnegie. See, everyone's favorite sound is the sound of their own name, but everyone's second favorite sound is the sound of being angrily berated by a mythological warrior for not being friendly enough. These are valuable tips. You can use them. Unfortunately, before Val's verbal assault has a chance to result in an exchange of friendship bracelets, Namor disappears in a bolt of magical energy. Uh-oh. Val notes that the ruby Steve gave her indicate that Namor is now north of her, so she jumps on Aragorn and flies off in search of the once again lost Prince of Atlantis. Namorita insists on tagging along, which is fine with Val. As the two fly north, they bump into the Hulk who is out on one of his nature walks, or nature stomps to be more precise. She entreats the Jade Giant to join her in her search for Namor. Hulk is conflicted. He likes Val, but she wanted him to hang out with Steve and be a defender, which he fucking hates. As he often does when conflicted, Hulk reverts to his default status. Smashing. Fortunately, before Hulk gets an opportunity to smash Val and Namorita, he too disappears in a mystical bolt of energy. And the ruby attuned to his whereabouts indicate that he too is in the north. Val and Nita follow the rubies to a familiar-looking lighthouse in Maine. Wait a minute. Isn't that... Yup. Yandroth, the Scientist Supreme's Omegatron Doomsday Machine, is at it again. Turns out that when Steve tried to make another time bubble back in Defenders number 1, it weakened the time bubble he sealed Omegatron in. Oh, Steve. Now the timer on the Omegatron is running again, and in about six minutes, the world-destroying computer is going to yell, Yandroth. And when it does... So long planet, Val. Figure six minutes should be about enough time to blow up a computer. But before she gets a chance to, the Omegatron six five Namors and five Hulks on her. Oh shit. That is like three too many of each. Val reckons that each quintet must contain one original defender and four facsimiles, and that furthermore, if she can determine which of her attackers is a genuine article, then the copies will disappear. Wow, that is some fancy supposing, Val. You sure you're new to the Marvel Universe? Turns out, all Val's supposings were 100% correct. Hooray! With the assistance of Aragorn, the Avenging Asgardian Amazon accurately ascertains which of her assailants are actual. A+. plus. When Val hits the real Namor and Hulk, their doppelgangers disappear. Hooray! Unfortunately, Val's alliterative assault was too late. The Omegatron Doomsday Clock has struck zero. Oh, shit. Rather than immediately saying Yandroth and blowing up the world, the evil magic computer decides to stretch its legs for a minute. Literally. It transforms from a computer into a giant robot. The transformation apparently releases Namor and the Hulk's minds from its control, and the two defenders join Val in attacking the giant robot. They manage to throw the apocalyptic automaton off balance for a minute, but it begins to vocalize its world-destroying battle cry. Then Val chops its head off. Hooray! Turns out its one weakness was decapitation. We're not so different, you and I, Omegatron. You know, except for the fact that I am definitely a human man from Earth. Cannot stress this enough. 
I, Hub, am a human man from Earth. Namor thinks that the Omegatron was vulnerable in its robot form, but had to transform into it due to Yandroth's hubris, while Val feels that the Omegatron was vulnerable to her attack because, like her, it is a combination of magic and physicality. Either way, they both agree that Val did a great job and is totally awesome. Hooray! They fly back to New York, probably stopping along the way to have a couple bottles of Moxie. Hooray! Man, considering that it is a terrible-tasting beverage... I sure do love Moxie. And joining us once again is my good for many things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Oh, good. Yeah. A little bit sleepy. I'll mm. get through that, though. Yeah. We got a heck of a issue of the Defenders to talk about to keep us awake. Indeed. So, what'd you think? I enjoyed this issue. Yeah, I did too. I uh, I didn't as much the first time I read it, but when I read back through it to take notes, I was like, Oh, this is actually pretty rad. Mm -hmm. It's, I got to admit, like, first read through, it's like, it's kind of a nothing story. Kind of basic. Yeah. And I, I will say, like I said, when I reread it through, there was a lot of stuff that caught my eye that I was like, this is actually really fun. However, it's kind of anticlimactic with the blow off that has been building since the first issue of The Defenders that we're going to see the Omegatron device again. Mm hmm. And it's dealt with pretty easily. Yeah, Val doesn't have all that much problem defeating the Omega Trap. Well, she had a nice splush assist or splush assist. <laughs> I'm that, sorry? That didn't sound no, good. No, that really didn't. Namor did splash the monster with a wave. He gave it such a splash. I'm sorry. The, the <laughs> sound effect I was looking for is slud. Oh, yes. That's the noise that making a giant wave causes. Yeah, a giant wave with maybe some big rocks in it. Oh, probably. They're on, they're off the coast of Maine. So. Again. Although, unlike the last time they were off the coast of Maine, we're Ezra and Sari. Oh. I miss them. We get no Maine accents in this. Although, hmm. do you think, because it was created in Maine, do you think the Omegatron has a Maine accent? Yandra! <laughs> <laughs> well, it would have more of a drawl. <laughs> oh and also he speaks he speaks super oh, slowly he probably slowly. does oh man That's it is why. new canon to me that <laughs> yes yeah the omegatron has a main accent the only new england accent that's got a bit of a drawl to it oh yeah uh, yeah. <laughs> that's why it takes so long for it to speak yes it's also caught in a time slowing bubble Although, I'm not entirely certain that the rest of Maine isn't caught in a time-slowing bubble. Just Doctor Strange again. <laughs> oh, man. So Doctor Strange is canonically responsible for Governor LePage. Yep. God that's, damn That's it. why we used to have to drive over the uh, bridge to Kittery, to Kittery to buy the uh, beer, because they sold it later <laughs> due to the uh, time-slowing bubble. Oh, man. Ha. Huh. It's a complicated uh, situation that Aya. Strange created there. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Any Mainers listening, sorry. I don't I don't think I do the accent nearly as well as I should have for growing up so near. No, it's not up to snuff with your French accent. That is true. But. That is true. I think you do a pretty good job. Well, accents are my strong suit. <laughs> I know, that's why we brought you in. You're the rich little of this program. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah, but overall, yeah, for a storyline that has been brewing for the last five issues... Uh, that we've been having at least one panel that's being like, oh, you done broke that time bubble. Looks like Armageddon's coming. It's been a slow build to this, and the payoff just kind of isn't there. It's just like, and then she defeats it. Yes, they have a new member who has different capabilities than they had beforehand, but it still seems a little bit anticlimactic to me. Yep. They did put rather a fine point on trying to like briefly explain like, hey guys, sorry, I know this seems super anticlimactic, but Valkyrie is a combination of magic and might that the other guys don't have, so totally makes sense. Okay, but beforehand they did have a magic guy and two mighty men. Two mighty men? Yes. I mean, they didn't have the requisite three mighty men that you would need to make a terrible Turkish action movie that we've been meaning to watch for a long time. Ah, that's a shame. Yeah, I know. Uh, if anybody's listening and has a copy of Three Mighty Men that has been translated from Turkish, maybe wouldn't mind sending it your boy's way. That'd be pretty sweet. That would be nice. Because, uh, yeah, Three Mighty Men is this... Uh, I love Turkish action cinema of the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. It's great. No but copyright. There was, 
respect yeah. whatsoever. So there was a movie called Three Mighty Men that was made that was Turkish Superman, Turkish Captain America, and Turkish Santo the Mexican Wrestler. Of course. Teaming up to fight Spider-Man, who in Turkish action cinema movies, or at least this one, is a serial killer. It, it's I've heard so much about this movie and I would love to see it. Uh, the Turkish action movies that I have seen have been wonderful. And so this is on my to-do list. And, you know, if you want to help me uh, tick that item off of it, maybe uh, give me a holler. Yep. Yeah, that'd be pretty sweet. Getting a little bit aside here, though. So because the fight with Yandroth, or I guess it isn't Yandroth. It's the Omegatron device that was created by Yandroth. If he says Yandroth, then we can kiss it all goodbye. Oh, man. That was a piece of dialogue that kind of stood out to me. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, she's been on Earth for like a day and has picked up a lot of interesting slang that her creator, the Enchantress, doesn't have. Maybe it's residual from... Uh, Just the environment she was created in? No, the what's the lady's name who's went crazy and she's in her body? Barbara Norris? Barbara's... Could be. Yeah, so like she's kind of like a parasitically feeding off of barbara norris or symbiotically she needs her body her physical body imbued with the magic of the valkyrie to persist and so if she was a parasite that wouldn't work out because barbara's body would be destroyed yeah okay fair enough you're right it is more of a symbiotic relationship sort of except for that she's completely subsumed the barbara norris personality Mm -hmm. so I think there is actually some debate as to whether it is a symbiotic relationship or not. It's like that uh, thing that people that have too many cats can get, where there's like the parasite that gets in your brain that makes you keep collecting cats. Oh, yeah. Did you hear about that on the radio? I did actually hear something about that. I think I got it mostly wrong, but that that was my takeaway. Okay, that's fair. (laughs) It's a lot like that. So Barbara Norris has taken up cat collecting. Yeah, parasitic. Right. Or do you think that was what she was doing in that other dimension with the nameless one? Just too many cats. Too many cats. (laughs) And that's why she went, you know. Bonkers. Full bonkers. Like, Steve's been taking the rap for that. But uh, it's not his fault. Yeah. It's just that she collected too many cats. When he took her away from those cats. (laughs) So. can't, Can't really blame her. It's, I don't think it's quite there. But it does bring up the fact that, yeah, most of the issue is dealing with Valkyrie having kind of an existential crisis. At the same time, knowing herself extremely well. In some ways, yeah. I mean, she literally says, I've had so much time to think about myself that I've got it all figured out. Oh, well, that's the that's good news. I guess that is how it works. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You want, you know, you, you you have an existential crisis, so you wander around New York for like two days because your new friends don't want to talk to you, and mm-hmm. then, boom, boom, you got it all figured out. Problem solved. Yeah, one problem that isn't solved is that. So you weren't here when we covered Defenders number four, but you you listened to the episode and you did read the issue. Mm-hmm. Her brand of feminism is treated very differently in this issue than it is in the previous one. Mm-hmm. Like, in the previous issue, she definitely makes a point of saying, I don't hate men, I just know that I'm as good as they are. And so it really does come across more as self-confidence, where in this issue, she's got more than a touch of, like, the stereotypical misandry that is attributed to feminism, especially in this era, where she doesn't trust any man, and she has it says that she was created with an inherent distrust of men, mm-hmm. and that her aggressiveness makes women distrust her mm-hmm. now she says that the example that she cites as proof is she's walking by clea dr mm-hmm. strange's girlfriend disciple pupil mm. it's a complicated thing that honestly the whole dr strange clea relationship makes me kind of uncomfortable but as she is standing there in the room with clea she says my personality as created encompasses a basic distrust of men And yet, my aggressiveness sparks a similar distrust for me in other women. Already, your Clea wishes I would leave your house, Stephen. No, she says that in front of Clea. Maybe it's not your aggressive nature. Maybe it's the fact that you talk about people in the third person right in front of them. 
that makes them distrust you and want you to go away. Clea is clearly scowling at her as she says this. Yes, yeah. There, man, the, the sparks are coming off of that pretzel-headed... That is the craziest <laughs> fucking hairdo. I don't... It's like, what are they just like... Well, she's from another dimension, but she's exactly human-looking, so we will just give, so her, we'll give her pretzel, pretzel bangs. Yeah, pretzel bangs. That's how they do thing in Dormammu's dimension. Yep. All it, women must sport pretzel bangs. I don't think it's a it's a must. Yeah, I think it's just that that's how their hair grows. It's not compulsory. It's I think it's they all have. If you're Dormammu's niece, anyway, maybe it's not all the women in his dimension. Maybe it's a familial trait. They just have cowlicks, like crazy cowlicks Craziness. that make your bangs turn into pretzels. Probably, it's a weird dimension. Yeah. One of the other things that you noticed in this issue is that the defenders don't have any nipples. Nope. I was, is that a comics code thing? Uh, I don't know if it's a specific one. And it, it is interesting. I'm not sure of the timeline on this because I think Conan the Barbarian was coming out at around this time. And Barry Windsor Smith did always draw nipples on Conan. Uh, that series started in 1970, I think. And there's actually, it's kind of funny because this is edited by Roy Thomas and they, there's been some debate about like Roy Thomas spearheading the, no, people need nipples <laughs> movement. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Roy Thomas apparently would have assistants go through and draw nipples on people sometimes if the artist had left them out. Um, <laughs> and sometimes he would do it himself. That is funny. I'm probably getting some of this information wrong, but I really like the idea of just Roy Thomas being <laughs> up late at night. And being Shaking like, his head. No, nipples for everybody. <laughs> Not enough nipples. Our right as American. Oh, I'm giving this guy four. He's very powerful. <laughs> yeah, Megatron doesn't have any either. Well, he's a robot man. Yeah, I know, but he's, he's created in uh, Yandroth's image. Yeah, they get into that a little bit. And I think it's kind of funny because there's... Val and Namor are debating what Yandroth's weakness was that made him easily defeated. Namor's theory is that it is Yandroth's innate hubris and egocentrism that made him want to form a robot that would be in his own image, and then once it was in his image and no longer the computer, then it was vulnerable. Mm. Whereas Valkyrie's response is that, no, it's because he's like me, a combination of magic and sorcery, mm -hmm. and that's why he's vulnerable. So in their own way, they're each saying, like, no, he's got my Achilles heel. No, he's got my Achilles heel. Uh, and it actually kind of reminds me of the King Kong versus Godzilla movie that came out, where when it was released in the US, they had King Kong win. Mm -hmm. And when it was released in Japan, they had Godzilla win. Because each country, like in America, it's important. It's like, no, our fear of Africa is the most powerful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and in Japan, it's like, no, our fear of us and atomic weaponry is more powerful so everybody wants their own vulnerability to be the strongest and i thought that was kind of interesting i just curious yep that makes sense I, I don't know who was right though that's i think maybe he just made a shitty robot <laughs> or you know valkyrie's like it's like uh homeopathy like like cures like except oh like so destroys it's just, like it's, so it's total bullshit <laughs> Going with Namor on this one. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> he was very eloquent. He starts that whole diatribe off, or uh, the soliloquy, uh, Vanity, the universal curse. Yeah, but I, it is really him just saying, like, Ah, yes, Vanity, we all have that pretty bad. It's like, yeah, we all do Namor. <laughs> I know, I was thinking, like, hmm, you're one to talk when I was reading that. Yeah. It's interesting, we don't see very much of Doctor Strange in this issue. Nope, he's like, hey, take these rubies and go make some friends, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna hang out here with Clea for a little bit. Get her out of this house. <laughs> Hit it, boys. <laughs> it's funny, I had somebody ask me, like, so in what issue do they say, Hit it, boys? <laughs> It's I, I really like the fact that our own canon is starting to merge and supplant with the Defenders. I mean, it does totally seem like the sort of thing Doctor Strange would at least be thinking in his head. Sure. Like, whatever, like I think that's the unofficial Defenders battle cry, mm -hmm. is like, as they jump into a situation, it's like, hit it, boys. A little musical number. Uh-huh, gives us a little magician strut. Mm. Yeah, good yeah. stuff. We do see Val, as she is walking down the street initially, 
starting her in existential crisis, the way that different people react to her. We get the reactions of four different bystanders, I think. We get Alan Moore drops his bong. Whoa, man. <laughs> get a load of that Valkyrie. Yeah, okay, it's, it, it can't be Alan Moore because it's like what Alan Moore looks like now only bald or... <laughs> But it totally looks like Alan Moore drops his bong and that scares a cat. Really scares a cat. We get Andy Cap has his cigarette fall out of his mouth. He's driving a taxi. Yep. Uh, oh, that's before he's driving a taxi. Uh, I think it's a different dude. Oh, there's a different Andy? Yeah, I think they're double Andy Caps. See? That's the Andy Cap I'm talking about oh, on shit. page one. Where And you see he's got a bottle in his hand, too. Oh, yeah. Just like Andy Cap. Yep. Mm-hmm. Probably on his way home to abuse his wife because Andy Cap is a horrible, horrible person. It is amazing to me that that was a Sunday comic strip that we grew up reading. I think we've discussed this Uh, before. It's still amazing to me. I didn't get that as a kid. I didn't either. I I thought he was cool because he had a hat. I thought he just sat there and ate snacks and I was like, I like pretzels too. Yeah, well, mostly I think we were somewhat led astray in that because of his branded hot fries. Oh, I did eat those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's a, such a fucked up comic strip. He's he's a, yeah, a drunken soccer hooligan on unemployment who beats his wife and steals her purse. Lame. But yeah, he sees Vel and he's like, oh? And then uh, Prez from the 1970s comic Prez uh, starts gesturing and being like, hey, get a load of her. And then in the next page, we see like a toddler also reacts to her. Uh, a toddler wearing a Captain America shirt, which is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. And a policeman, and they're like, hey, and just kind of checking her out, which is weird because it looks like they're looking at her butt, but she's wearing this long flowing voluminous blue cape. So maybe they're just cape aficionados. Melvin clearly is, I think, turned on by her boob armor. Yeah, okay. So we do see Melvin, who is part of a couple, and... <laughs> His wife is saying to him, Melvin, I'm your wife. Look at me. Do you remember when we were in the Mexico airport? That is exactly, <laughs> exactly what I thought. Okay, of. what was the guy's name? Frank. <laughs> Frank. No, no Frank. Frank. That's a woman's hat. <laughs> Frank didn't give a shit either. He no, was... he was like, Mer? hat's a hat. That was funny. Oh, man. Gender's a spectrum. Yeah, no, it's, they weren't quite there. And I don't think Melvin's quite there either. No, Melvin has a really creepy look on his face. He is obviously getting a huge amount of gratification from looking at Val. And it is creepy. He has this super huge grin on his face. Yeah, he he's lost in a world of Val's boob armor. The, yeah, and the first like three pages are like that. Like, every male is... Uh, looking yeah. at her in some way mostly creepy I yeah not not mostly i think entirely creepy i'm i'm not sure to what extent that's supposed to be like physically i think she's supposed to just be barbara norris pretty much right yeah i don't know maybe she's like seven feet tall and majestic and so everybody's just like whoa but i thought she was physically in barbara norris's body she is but it could be somehow in- like they just enchanted. made it bigger yeah or maybe Barbara Norris was just like seven feet tall. Super charismatic. Very pretty. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. The other thing that we learn about Valkyrie is that she's apparently in love with the Black Knight. Yep. It seemed like last issue would have been the time to have brought that up a little bit. Or at least alluded to it slightly. Seeing as that was the only time she had any interaction with him. And it was a really slight interaction. Remind me why they brought him back where they were just like, maybe we'll turn him unstatued later. And yeah, we'll that, store him that is absolutely, I, I think mostly it's just like, oh, statue of a medieval knight would look pretty sweet in my sanctum sanctorum. Oh, yeah. Carry him over here, boys. <laughs> <laughs> By the fireplace. Yeah, looking good. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I think really, literally the, the idea is, uh, maybe I can figure out a way to change him back later. Yep. So I'll keep him around my house and... Wong will give him a nice dusting every now and then. Yeah, totally. Keep, keep him looking sharp. And Valkyrie decided to care for his horse Aragorn. And we see in this issue, which I don't think she had brought up in the last one, she also takes his ebony sword. Which you would have thought that would have turned to stone with the rest. Of, maybe because it's enchanted, it wasn't affected by the enchantment. Mm-hmm. 
it seems like that's the sort of thing that would have been pretty easy to explain, but they didn't. Like, all of his armor turned to stone with him. She tried to smooch him back to not being a statue, but that didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, maybe it was when she smooched the statue that she's just like, hey, I like this guy. Dang. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't know what she sees in the guy. We They haven't really interacted, but she is somehow infatuated with him. I think it may be misplaced guilt for having taken his sword and horse. Yeah. Or the fact that he's just like this dude made out of stone and she has this existential crisis about oh that like is. like maybe it's just an easier gonna be an easier relationship. he's more approachable yeah yeah you know kind of like that movie mannequin ah you know what i took away from that movie mannequin i had the same takeaway from that that i did from uh the mixed up files of basil e Frankwalk. i want to spend the night at some place in a store when it's closed I think that would be creepy. I think it would be really fun. I think what would be creepy is having Kim Cattrall come to life on you. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, not the Kim Cattrall coming to life <laughs> thing, but that people do is they go stay in uh, Ikea's. They do? Yeah, I heard like that. Like over in, like they sneak in? Yeah, and then they and stay in like, the... Ooh. Okay, that sounds... Okay, I hate Ikea's. I really hate Ikea's. Okay, so where I start to stay? feel crazy. I would maybe stay in a like. I think that would be kind of fun though. Like the people there are, are what makes it crazy. Yeah, like I like the idea of all the setups. I would stay in the fictional store that was in Mannequin. I would totally get my mixed up files of Basil E. Frank Weiler on, and I would stay in the the Natural History Museum. Mm-hmm. That would be fucking rad. Uh, Smithsonian. That'd be pretty, pretty, pretty baller. Boston Museum of Science. Boston Museum of Science would be pretty good. I think I would rather stay in, like, I would rather stay in the Smithsonian and, like, like just go around and, like, wear Fonzie's jacket, sit in Archie Bunker's chair. What about the security? In the scenario, that's not a, I didn't know there was security. I'm staying in there by myself. No, there's got to be, like, a grumpy old guy with a flashlight. When you see him coming, you're like, oh, oh and then I, I got to hide. I got to, like, literally tiptoe around. Yeah. Do, 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 do. yeah. Hey, what's that? Over there. What are you, you kids doing? I'm a cat! <laughs> How did a cat get in here? Release the hounds. Oh, shit. That's the problem with the I'm a cat defense. Yep. Uh, Alright, I guess I wouldn't stay anywhere. I you guess I'll work on that. just stay in my house. Or just be better at hiding. It's less exciting now that I'm a grown-up. But when I was a kid, the idea of staying in a giant department store after hours and, like, I don't know, like, hanging out with... Kim Cattrall. Although, if I'm hanging out with the Kim Cattrall, I don't want it to be the Kim Cattrall from Mannequin. I want it to be the Kim Cattrall from Big Trouble in Little China. Goes without saying. Yeah, because that's the best Kim Cattrall. And that makes you Jack Burton. Obviously. Hmm. It's all in the reflexes. Anyway, what do you think of Namorita? I like her nickname, Nita. Okay, that that is neat. <laughs> yep. Uh, I thought her outfit was pretty cute. Yeah, it's basically... But both her and Namor just wear kind of one-piece swimsuits. Mm-hmm. It's like a girl's version of his thing. It has a little shell emblem on the belt buckle. Here's the thing. Her outfit isn't any more revealing than Valkyrie's is. Or any less revealing than Valkyrie's is. Like, they're both wearing essentially one-piece swimsuits. Mm-hmm. But it's somehow just not scandalous when Namorita does it. Uh, boob armor and in some sort of okay. enchantment. You think the, the male gaze that Valkyrie is attracting is at least in part magical based like because she's enchantress's creation she's drawn sexier too yeah i guess i wonder how much of that is just her her confidence although she doesn't seem particularly confident like she always is described as being confident but like she spends most of the issue just being like we're just gonna make friends yeah and with the guys too she's not she just does not give a shit. Like, she's not trying to, like, look sexy or be pretty or whatever. Yeah, no. She's just like, I'm just walking down the fucking street. And yeah, she doesn't even are... notice that all of the dudes are looking at her. Yeah. So, no, I just think she's she's just drawn sexier. Okay. And there's probably a, a some magical... Some, some like, because it. she's the Enchantress's creation, then mm-hmm. there is a certain intrinsic enthralling element to her. Yeah, she's got, like, an aura, man. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, we also meet very quickly Betty Prentice. Betty Prentice was originally Betty Dean. We've seen her very briefly in one of the reprint Namor stories. She's Namor's American pal. 
only uh, human friend, right? Yeah, yeah, for a long time she was. But I think this is kind of sweet. Like, she's aged at a different rate than he is because she's not a submariner. Mm-hmm. So when we see her here, she's a middle-aged woman, but she's still just really close pals with Namor. Mm-hmm. And she actually, she was called Betty Dean. She married, and I think she's widowed at this point. Oh. And Namor's like, look, uh, my, my cousin needs to have somebody stay with her this is the only woman i trust she's a rad lady her original origin was that she was created or she wasn't created she was originally sent by the u.s forces to capture namor she was like a super good swimmer Mm. and she went out into the ocean and pretended to drown so that namor would save her and then she pulled a gun on him and then they fought nazis together and punching nazis brings people closer together that's a bonding experience punching nazis is the best but yeah, that draws them closer together, and they have this really cool friendship, I think. I really I really like Betty Prentice Knee Dean. Mm. Is it pronounced Knee if you say it out loud, or is it Nay? I always said Nay, but I don't know if that's correct. But it's got an accent mark, which means it's French, which puts it firmly in your bailiwick. Ah, it's a French word. How would you say it? Nay. <laughs> there we go. We cannot get onto a Patch the Pony riff right now. Yeah, we can't. I'm sorry. All right. Remind us to tell you about Patch the Pony later if we have not already, because, man, I can't believe that hasn't come up yet on the podcast. That's some fucked up shit, I think maybe it hasn't. All right. Fuck it. Patch the Pony is, as near as I can tell, a localized phenomenon to southeastern New Hampshire. But Patch was a one-eyed pony who warned children about the dangers of strangers. Uh, and his slogan was, at least initially, nay, nay, from strangers, stay away. Makes sense. I think we were always led to believe, or are, well, I assume a stranger stabbed this pony in the eye. That's why he wears an eye patch now. We found out later that was not the case. It turned out that there was a follow-up film strip that came out a little bit after we were out of the elementary school era, but we were able to watch it. And it's called The Secret of Patch's Eye, or some, something to that effect. It is horrific and amazing. We find out Patch's secret origin and how he lost his eye. His father was an abusive circus horse, who, when Patch was unable to clear a hurdle as part of the act, beat Patch's eye out of him, and then had to get anger management counseling. This is a film strip that was shown to children, and it's the pony, and it's the craziest goddamn thing. Well, and it's also the pony talking to other kids, and basically, if your parents are beating you up, you know, go seek counseling. Well, his specifically, they changed his slogan from the relatively pithy, nay, nay, from strangers stay away, to the somewhat cumbersome, whoa, whoa, if somebody's hurting you, you need to let a helper know. This is a good message, Mm -hmm. certainly. It was so strange the way it was presented and so clumsily presented. It it remains one of the weirdest things I have ever seen. It is one of those things that I I really would have thought that I must have made that up. But no, that was a real thing, and it was specifically a New Hampshire thing. And the families are, if I recall correctly, unified at the end where there's a kid that's getting abused and then they get family counseling and then they're like a happy yeah. family again at the end. Yeah. The weirdest part to me is the part where I was still mad. before. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. She's it's so the woman is beating her child with a vacuum cleaner. She's like, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> Which was the exact same argument that Patch's circus horse dad gave before he beat Patch's eye out. Uh, because he, he hit him before and then was just like, Patch, don't tell anybody about this. I'm just under so much pressure at work as a circus horse. It is so goddamn bonkers. If you have any memories of Patch the Pony, please let me know because I, I have the VHS tape of this. It's not fun to watch. I thought it would be fun to go back and be like, oh, that, that was so weird from when I was a kid. And then I watched it as an it's, adult and I was just like, oh, I don't feel good. It's now. really disturbing, but I, it is the kind of disturbing where it's like, I do want to share it with as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. We really need to figure out a way to upload that to yep. the internet. Because we need to... This is gross. Try it. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. What the hell were we talking about? Uh, how did it... How, I don't remember how we got to Patch the Pony. Okay. All roads lead to Patch the Pony. So, let's see. We covered Existential Val and the bystander's responses. Her inconsistent misandry. Mm-hmm. I'm probably saying that word wrong. Nipplegate. The Black Knight. 
the disturbing lack of Ezri and Sari. Didn't really talk about the green clansmen that attack her when she's walking down the street. Mm -hmm. They never identify themselves other than their vague Doctor Strange bad guys. They don't like him. They see that this lady's been staying at his pad, so they decide to attack her. Yeah, Doctor Strange has some weird bad guys that just kind of follow him around all the time. And I, I do kind of like the interaction where it, she's beating up the bad guys and the main bad guy is about to attack her and Doctor Strange shows up and zaps him in the back, basically, with a magic bolt. And she's like, I could have gotten him myself. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, no, you totally could have. But right now, don't you need friends more than you need the validation of victory? And actually, that is a remarkable amount of insight for Doctor Strange to have about another human being. At the same time, I think that the way he delivered it was, in my mind anyway, maybe I'm just being a hater, but he sounded super pompous and like very proud of himself for coming up with this teachable moment. Okay, that is almost certainly the case, but to be fair, when Doctor Strange says, please pass the milk, please, that is also said with a high degree of pomposity and feeling very proud of himself for having the insight that he would like some milk. (laughs) Please pass the cow's milk. (laughs) Did you know it comes from cows? (laughs) I've stumbled across that in my studies. Have I told you about my studies? I am the Sorcerer Supreme. (laughs) In the East, they enjoy yak tea. (laughs) I tried that while I was there. We're better than them. No! No! (laughs) I forgot Steve Englehart wrote even this version of Doctor Strange. Uh, Oh, dear. Rick, you want to sing us on in? One, two, three. We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. It's interesting that Rick mentions Cory eating farts in that. I had a number of people send me links to the picture of uh, Adam Scott's daughter marching with a sign that says Trump eats farts and say, (laughs) oh, looks like your brother has something in in common with Donald Trump. That is not true. Cory, first of all, has nothing in common with Donald Trump. Cory is a wonderful person. Thank you. Donald Trump is. Not to get too political, but not. Also, Corey does not eat farts. That is the whole basis of our contention. I think that Corey should be more polite and eat his own farts. He refuses to do so because he is not a gentleman. But I also don't want to have to keep singing the Minutia song, so I didn't want to bring that up. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Hey, no problem. Eh, then we're just going to have to leave it at that. Yep. <laughs> I'll try I'll try and be better, but it seems kind of gross. Fair enough. It's really more of an inhalation than a... <laughs> well, really, you should just be gobbling the air around you after you fart like Cookie Monster. Using this is hands. what a true gentleman would do. At I'll any use my rate. hands to, to push it away. But you're not pushing it away. You're just pushing it around if you're not inhaling deeply. If there's like an open window, it could be... Could push it towards that. No, it's gonna go around your hand like the water would go around the a rock in a river. Ah, <laughs> your fart metaphor is supreme. Thank you. So, what was your favorite sound effect? Okay, so you can maybe help me decipher this, which is gonna be kind of a bummer because then what I think is my favorite sound effect probably isn't gonna be the word that I think it is. Okay. And it's on page twenty-four. There's one of those awesome panels where. There's action happening in front of the words, and the word makes up the whole background. Is it this one? Yeah. And in my head, when I first read it, it said, dang! (laughs) (laughs) I wish it said dang. But it doesn't. I'm pretty sure it says blang. Oh, that makes more sense. What were you thinking? It might be other than that. I I just moved on. Yeah. I was just like... It, It is cool, and there's a couple of panels in here in which the action that is triggered by the sound effect obscures the sound effect uh it happens there and it happens a couple of pages previous to that not with the blod not with the pow not with the clud even there's a lot of weird ones in here though there are some really good ones i had a few others crack blam bump yeah i don't think it's bump it's bump with a double p but it is a cool looking one that is a nemorita running into a thing the uh clung i believe when valkyrie is fighting the green clansmen such a cool fight scene it is cool when they first showed up uh, i was reading the black and white one and they looked like kind of ninja like and i made this note to myself like cool costumes and then i read it again i was like no they're not cool those look like clansmen they totally look like <laughs> clansmen ah uh, 
Yeah. Creepy. Yeah, and it's weird that they wouldn't look like that if they had the... Uh... I just didn't. I'm innocent sometimes. <laughs> I, I, know. I was just like, oh, those are very sinister-looking <laughs> bad guys. That's a cool costume. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they're supposed to look like Klansmen. They just, you know, kind of do. It's just easier to draw. All right. So, the fact that that... I, I also really wish that that sound effect was dang! <laughs> but now that it is blang, it is not your favorite. I, I mean, blang like, is pretty good. Like blang! Blang! That is a good one. My favorite is Slurge. Oh, I had that too. And in part because it is just a weird sounding word and also that that is the sound it makes when a magic sword decapitates a robot. Mm -hmm. Slurge. And I think that really should be canonical. Like anytime a magic sword decapitates a robot, it should say Slurge. Yeah, I in my head, like first I read it like that slurge i was like oh that's a funny word but then i was trying to think of you know what actual sound were they like, trying like to, trying to do with? your own like foley work and, and it's like, like a that like a metallic like echoey sound like, like slurge yeah like when you chop a robot's head off with yeah. a magic sword well i think when you chop a robot's head off with a magic sword it just goes slurge yeah maybe so you're going with blang as your favorite yeah i think so i i also like patam Patam's pretty good. I don't understand how a large wave makes the noise slud. I am a little bit curious about that myself. They are off of the coast of Maine, so there's a lot of uh, sediment in the water right Maybe around rocks. there. Yeah, so it's. I think that's like more like, yeah, rocks. They're probably near some tide pools, so that's sea probably engines. mostly like periwinkles. Her hermit crabs and periwinkles. <laughs> Maybe some dog whelks. Very confused sea anemones. Yeah. I punched a guy who was being mean to hermit crabs one time when I was in eighth grade. Oh. We went to Oregon. <laughs> you, you were no. recently on the East Coast, so I was like, no. dang. No. That was when <laughs> I was in eighth grade. It's I, one of the only times I've ever punched somebody that we'd gone to Ordeon Point and uh, we had brought back a bunch of hermit, like we were studying them for our science class and then we were going to bring them back. And uh, this kid was just crushing hermit crabs with uh, like forceps. Mm. And I was like, don't do that. And he's like, why? And so I punched him. Mm -hmm. He was much bigger than me. And he sat down real fast. Uh, and then I was like, oh, no, now he's going to kill me. And uh, then we both got sent to the uh, principal's office for fighting. And we had to apologize to each other. Good outcome, actually. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was like, oh, darn. It's, yeah. Mm. But still, man, don't fucking. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. for sound effects. When you hit him, did it make a, a um, tang? Or a, uh, a it actually went slurge. Now that I think about okay. it, you may have been an evil robot. And also my fist is a magic sword. Uh, I should have mentioned that. I know you can't see me when you're listening to this, but uh, I probably should have mentioned at some point, it's my left hand is a magical sword. Inconvenient. Yeah, in a lot of ways. So... Sartorially speaking, what uh, what fashion choices would you like to discuss? It may be not allowed, but I think since I did not attend the last issue, I gotta go with Valkyrie's getup. She looks fucking badass. Okay, fair uh, enough. Cape is rad. The boob armor's rad. The yeah. leg things that keep her sandals on are pretty rad. Yeah, she's got like thigh high sandals, basically, mm -hmm. like gladiator sandals, maybe, but like calf, at least calf high. Mm hmm. She's got uh, metal, like, bicep cuffs. Yeah. No, something. she's got a rad outfit. Super I, tough looking. I, I will grant you that. I went in a different direction. I went with Betty Prentice's outfit. She's, like, serving the drinks. When she's the... serving them what I assume are free sodas. Oh, <laughs> only free sodas. But, yeah, she's wearing, like, a like a 70s kind of house dress type, house dress pantsuit combo. It made me think of Dustin Hoffman and Tootsie. I can see that. Yeah, the glasses and the hair. I yeah, think. that's more the, the glasses and hair. But it, it it's just a very 70s around the house outfit that I was like, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actually kind of into that. The other thing I wanted to bring up slightly is that there's a toddler who is staring at Val's butt, which is weird. But he is wearing a Captain America shirt over a jacket. And I like whenever they pull shit like that in comic books where like there's like, yeah, you know, there's a lot of people around here wearing Superman t-shirts. Because mm -hmm. we all like Superman. And yeah. I assume in the Marvel Universe, it's the same thing with Captain America. And mm -hmm. I think that's kind of cool. In a in a shirt form, it's a good-looking outfit. 
Yeah, cool kid. I mean, cool outfit on the kid. Cool, cool outfit on the kid. That, yeah, that toddler shouldn't be objectifying that Valkyrie. But... I think that particular one, he's just like, whoa, like giant lady with a sword and armor. Yeah, we're just like, that's a big blue cape. Yeah, yeah. Let's. I'm gonna leave some <laughs> innocence here. Yeah. Okay. All right. What was your favorite dialogue in this? I had a few things written down. I'm going to keep it super short. Okay. And go with one that it just cracked me up where like the dialogue wasn't particularly good, but it's Omegatron is about to detonate his doomsday device and he starts to say Yanderoth, but he gets his head <laughs> chopped off in the middle and he says, Yanderoth! <laughs> I really liked that too. That really cracked me up too. And I, I kept being like, yeah, drag. I kept, I he was trying to like say a it. Kathy thing. Yeah. Um, it's like either Kathy or Bill the cat. And yeah, that was totally rad. I also really liked, really liked slash really didn't like when, uh, when Val says. It's her soliloquy about knowing herself. No, although I did like that too. No, it's when she's fighting Yandroth and she's just apparently lost and says, Nita, it didn't work. Well, we can kiss it all goodbye. Yeah, but she's just like, fuck <laughs> Like, it. that's her reaction to the world ending, which is both kind of like matter of fact, well, that's, that's the end of the world, but also like using a weird amount of slang for somebody who's only existed for a few minutes and who's, you would think, I I. In my mind, she had spoken more like as guardian slash Elizabethan English before. Mm. Uh, I don't think she ever really did. In, in my mind, that didn't how she talked in issue four, but I looked it up and she didn't. Mm. It just struck me as really odd and a strange character choice. Mm -hmm. But I think my absolute favorite words, and this is reinforced even more now that we know that he has a thick main accent, is the Omegatron. <laughs> Two for Omegatron. First of all, I love how he is introduced by Steve Englehart's captions. Again, I'm increasingly frustrated with people breaking the fourth wall. I don't think they should do so as much as they do. But here, I, I kind of enjoy it. The Doomsday Device, christened low these many years ago, the Omegatron. And then he says, Good evening. But so it doesn't take 20 pages for it to unburden itself, and so Charlotte doesn't get writer's cramp, will compress the machine's oratory to manageable size. Charlotte is, I believe, the letterer. Yeah, it's a Charlotte Jetter. Mm. And I thought that was a nice nod to her. So they, they compress his dialogue. I'm the Omegatron, built by Androth, scientist <laughs> supreme, to autonomically disintegrate this here planet. <laughs> rather expected some witnesses <laughs> months ago range for the hulk and the submariner here to battle here <laughs> the vibrations of the clash could lend indeed power to my circuits <laughs> and, and in my mind it is partly taking him so long to say that because he pauses every after everyone goes yeah but dr strange stop time around me seemingly forever bond me from the moment, I'd scream my maker's name, and doom the ass. But yeah, I, especially reading it with a main accent, I love that. I love picturing many, many long pauses for a minute-long... <laughs> so yeah, I really enjoyed that. There is also a weird a weird thing where Namorita says, We better go rescue my cousin, because right now they're probably fricasseeing his ears. It's like that's a weird turn of phrase. It is. Yeah. That's a weird assumption you would make that that would be what they would do to him. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. Let's get on to best defender, worst offender. Okay. Who you got for best defender? I went with Val for killing Omegatron. Fair enough. Yeah. Short but sweet, I'm 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 with you on that. Save. She I mean, she's pretty much the protagonist of this issue. It's really about her journey and her journey to acceptance by the other defenders. After she does slice its head off, there's a really nice moment that she has with Namor where he's like, You know what, kid? You're okay. Mm -hmm. We're still not a team, but you can join. Mm -hmm. after hulk totally bums her out she's like i want to be on your team and he's like ah fuck this shit <laughs> like teams leaves. are stupid i'm leaving yeah <laughs> i just want to smash it and be left alone and to have a lot of friends she's all hurt and it's like oh sorry i asked and then namor's yeah. cool and they, yeah namor's totally cool about it which mm -hmm. good for namor conversely worst offender 
I think it shall not be a vast surprise to you that uh, Doctor Strange sort of is largely absent from the story. He's largely absent. I think he does a nice job. He zaps a clansman. He does put I'm things not mad in, at that. in motion. Yeah, he as, gives he gives well. Val some rubies. I don't think he actually does a bad job. He's largely absent from the issue. I went with Namorita. Oh. She doesn't do shit. And any time where it's like she like she insists that she goes along, she's like, you know, I'm a submariner too. And then she really doesn't do anything. She has a, a go get em attitude, but it but just gets no follow through. Bounced off that wall. That was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. She she bounces off a wall and it says boom. Yeah. But really, other than that, like there's the scene where Aragorn, the flying horse, comes in and rescues Val, and Val is like, "Aragorn, you did it." Now Namorita is riding Aragorn at this time, and Namorita is like, "Yeah, he totally did do it. I didn't do shit." I'm just sitting here. He just he just went by himself, and uh, I'm just sitting here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she really didn't do anything. And because the Defenders is not a team, any heroes they are fighting alongside counts as a team member. And I am saying that of them, she did the worst job. Backup would probably be Hulk, because he really didn't do much either, and he made Val feel bad. Yep, but those are both fair. But yeah, judgments. that's uh, that's where I'm headed with this one. Now, favorite panel. Um, I had two one. Uh, was the very last panel on page 28 where there's a silhouette of Val riding away and uh, Megatron's, I guess, corpse in the uh, water. And it was just very pretty. And it uh, gave the sense of uh, some hope, you know, that things are, are going to happen. No, there is that. And it's also the fact that it is a silhouette of a woman riding a flying horse across the moon. Uh, remind uh, you of a certain Boris That could be it. Yeah. And you also see Namor's silhouette, too. And it's nice that they're flying off together. And it's just weird seeing that they left this doomsday ma- machine just floating in the ocean off the coast of Maine. That's true. That seems, seems like very... somebody could just, like, jam that thing's head back on. Yeah. And also just, like, litter. Don't litter, Both man. of those things. Yeah. Litter the ocean. Yeah. Especially Namor. Mm-hmm. He wants to protect the ocean. He, that's where one of his spots where he likes to sit around and slurp oysters. Like mm-hmm. the, the classiest hobo. Maybe he just likes to think of it being there as this fallen colossus like a monument to his awesome crime fighting ability yeah except for he didn't do it well i'm sure he likes to think he really had something to do with it fair enough yeah that's a good one uh one of my favorites i really i i've talked about it before but i like the panel where barbara prentice shows up and has free sodas for everybody i really enjoyed that and i really like the opening splash page which is just val walking down the street alan moore's dropping his bong and Andy Cap's like, oh, and Prez is like, hey, check her out. It's it's just a really nicely drawn image. I like it. It is weird. I think you mentioned, too, that Val pretty much doesn't close her mouth in, like, the first, like, oh, well, let's just say ever. I don't think that's specifically a Val thing. I think Sal Buscema has a tendency to draw people with open mouths as a default. Yeah, as I'm leafing through it. I had never really noticed that before. A lot of open Nobody mouths. ever closes their mouth. You see a lot of teeth and you see a lot of open mouths. Good to know. My backup panel was a horse and Val and Namorita flying into the invisible wall. And the horse just looks like <laughs> totally what I would imagine a Pegasus to look like if it flew into an invisible wall. It's like, Ugh! Oh, yeah. The one that says the blam. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. Pretty good. Well, I think that brings us to the end of the issue. I like that the, the last words of it, instead of saying the end, it says maybe a beginning. Mm-hmm. So, pretty good. Pretty good. I there there was a lot I really liked about this issue. Thank you for joining us, Corey. You're welcome. And thank you for joining the both of us, listeners. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of really great feedback this this week, and I love hearing from you. Please keep it coming. Uh, you can reach us at ttwasteland at gmail dot com. You can check out the Tumblr page ttwasteland.tumblr.com, I think. Yeah, we're up on Facebook, we're up on iTunes, we've gotten a couple of new reviews, and we really appreciate those. Gotten a lot of new listeners, and uh, if you're one of them, then welcome aboard, we're glad to have you, and keep the feedback going and let us know. We we have some new pledges on Patreon, and I appreciate that, I'm going to be setting some new levels soon, and I'll start having some more rewards for you soon. We've got a couple of bonus Patreon-only episodes up on there. Uh, so if you donate, you'll get access to those, and we're going to be putting some more of them up, which were a lot of fun. Uh, I'm going to recommend that you check out, we used as the intro music to one of them, 
Neil Diamond's The Pot Smoker song. It is so goddamn catchy. <laughs> you really should check that out. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Touch me not. Hit it, boys. <laughs> Bye. Bye. And they knew it. too much into this because it seems kind of gross but oh never mind Nick, i got my answer she's barbara norris i was wondering if like valkyrie had been fully sprung fully formed as she talks about in her existential crisis like that she didn't have a childhood or stuff i was wondering if she would have nipples uh, or a belly button but uh she's barbara norris so she does so yeah, we don't need human. to speculate about valkyrie having a belly button or nipples uh, good which yeah okay Okay. Um... <laughs>